Freedom. Freedom. You know, we especially love freedom here in the lands of the free. But what does freedom mean? What does it mean to you? I was looking this up last night. I was reading some definitions from some eighth graders, uh, the next generation, you know, and, uh, and it's, they, were, they were putting in one sentence, here's what freedom means to me. One, one wrote, freedom means that I can express myself freely without it being against the law. Another one of them wrote, uh, freedom means I can be who I want to be. Freedom. Well, many in our nation believe that freedom, they, they equate that with human autonomy. Human autonomy. Basically, that, that I am my own highest authority. That I can be whatever I want to be and do whatever I want to do. And uh, this, this may be a, a very Western view of freedom, a very American view, but as, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven as those who are ultimately sojourners in America and ambassadors here on behalf of the kingdom that shall not be shaken, how should we think about freedom? Here in God's word, our king, King Jesus, tells us how to think about freedom, how to use our freedom. And he even, as we'll see this morning, by example, shows us how to use our freedom. We read such things as, as this in Galatians, in Galatians 5, that, that for freedom, he says, you are called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So freedom to serve others. Well, we're going to be thinking about about freedom this morning from Matthew 17. So if you have your Bibles, please turn there at this time. Uh, and you can find this text on page 772 in the Pew Bibles. Matthew chapter 17. Starting in, in verse 24 uh, down to the end of the chapter. Let me just give a, a brief word of context though. You know, Jesus has been showing his disciples who he is, and now he's showing them what he's come to do, and he's showing them what that will mean for them. He's giving them a clearer picture of what it looks like to be a Christ follower, what it looks like to be a Christian. And so we see this, uh, this little interaction that, that Peter has with some collectors of the, the two drachma tax the temple tax, and, and then Jesus' interaction with Peter. And uh, at first glance, this, this story is kind of confusing. Like, what's the point of, of that? What's the point of this story? But as we take a closer look, we see that it has very much to do, it's very practical about how we are to use our freedom. So let's read the text, starting in verse 24 of Matthew 17. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, yes. 
And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, From others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Give that, or take that, and give it to them for me and for yourself. This is the word of God. All right, well, the first lesson that we'll see from from this passage this morning is that there are some things, there are some things that are more important than exercising our freedoms, than exercising our rights and privileges. Some things are more important. Now, the tax spoken of here is the temple tax, which was collected for the support and upkeep of the temple in Jerusalem. Two drachmas uh, in the currency of the day, that was, that was worth about half a shekel. So the shekel that Peter found in the fish's mouth, that would have been enough to pay for two people. That's why Jesus says, give it to them for, for me and for yourself. And this, this two drachmas, that would have been equivalent to about two full days' wages for the average worker. Two full days' wages. And this tax, it has uh, biblical origins. It had uh, originally been given back in the book of Exodus, but it had been expanded and modified, it seems, by the time of Jesus, beyond what the scriptures had, had explicitly commanded. According to Bible commentator R.T. France, he says, uh, quote, the half-shekel temple tax was an annual levy on adult Jewish males and one which, unlike Roman taxes, might be expected to be paid as a patriotic duty. So, so understand, this is not a Roman tax. This is not the Roman government sending their tax collectors out. This was rather uh, tax collectors from Jerusalem, from the, from the Jewish nation, and, and what are they collecting it for? For the temple, for the worship of the true God. And this tax, uh, as I mentioned a moment ago, found its basis in Exodus 30, uh, 11 through 16. It was, it was a one-time payment of a half a shekel by every adult male when the census was taken. And it was, it was to be taken, quote, as a ransom for their lives. As a ransom for their lives to be used, quote, for the service of the tent of meeting. Now, but, but again, by the time of Jesus, it being collected every single year, that was probably more likely a, a more recent innovation. Nevertheless, this tax went to support the temple and its services. But think about it, that very temple that Jesus would go on to say had been turned into a den of robbers. A den of robbers. It's very likely that a portion of these funds would get diverted and, and misappropriated from the worship in the temple and would instead be for the personal enrichment of some of the corrupt high priests and, and Jewish leaders at the time. And so there, there could be a case made where, where uh, maybe, maybe Peter and, and even Jesus would maybe not pay the tax. And maybe that's, maybe that's why uh, in, in the back of 
the minds of these tax collectors, maybe that's why they asked, does your teacher not pay the tax? Maybe they'd heard some of the the ways he'd critiqued the temple leadership, and they, they didn't want to take it for granted. But Peter responds to their question in verse 24, does your teacher pay the tax, or does your teacher not pay the tax? He responds with a confident yes. You know, he didn't, he didn't even check with Jesus. He just took it for granted. Uh, he just assumed based on what he knew. You know, Jesus, Jesus always paid his taxes, after all. And if, if he paid taxes to the pagan tyrants of Rome, then certainly he'd pay this tax, uh, this more patriotic tax to the Jewish nation, to the, to the temple worship. But when Simon Peter stepped back into the house, Jesus spoke first. He kind of anticipates him, and he presents Peter with a question. He wanted Peter to understand something. What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? Now, the answer to Jesus' question is is obvious. The royal family would not tax itself. You know, it would make no sense. It would be like the, it'd be like the right hand taxing the left hand, the king taxing his own family, taxing himself for the support of his own government. The, the obvious answer is the taxes and the tolls would be collected from those outside, from others. But the sons are free. The sons of the kings would be free. So what's Jesus' point here? Jesus' point is that he... He's the son. He's the son of God. This tax is, is being taken up for his father's house, his father's temple. And so, really, he's not obligated to pay this tax. He's free in this sense. I mean, if anyone could claim an exception, it would be Jesus. Would, would God in the flesh pay taxes to support his own worship in his own temple. But, you know, at at this point, Peter was probably thinking, oh man, I've done it again. Opened my big mouth and spoke too soon. (laughs) Um, After what Jesus has just said, you think that, you know, Peter's probably thinking, oh man, okay, am I going to have to go back out there and explain to these tax collectors Uh, They're probably not going to understand. They're probably going to go back to Jerusalem and cause a fuss. But instead, instead, Jesus goes on. There's something else that, you know, he's, he's emphasizing, I'm free. I'm not obligated to pay. However, look at verse 27. He says, however, not to give offense to them, go, go fishing and pay with what you find. Now, this word translated in English as as give offense, it means more than simply hurting one's feelings. According to uh, pastor and Bible commentator James Boyce, he says that the Greek word skandalon is is never used in the New Testament for something that merely offends someone, but always for something that causes the person to stumble spiritually or trip up. And so... And so it's, it's not merely that Jesus was like, oh, I don't want to hurt these guys' feelings. I don't want to make life difficult. But, but even more profoundly, I don't want them to stumble, to be confused, uh, to stumble spiritually. 
So there's a concern here in Jesus' mind that these men, these collectors of the temple tax, would be caused to stumble by his refusal to pay. They might interpret his non-payment, for example, as maybe, maybe a lack of respect for the temple and for the worship of the God of the temple. They might take, take Jesus' non-payment as, as, you know, hey, forget the temple. I'm starting a, a whole new religion. But that's not what Jesus was doing. In fact, the temple had been legitimate, and, and Jesus was coming to fulfill the temple. The, the worship of the true God in that temple and the ceremonies that the temple uh, that, that took place there, Jesus was coming to fulfill those. He wasn't starting something from scratch. Yes, the temple would soon be irre- irrelevant, but, but not yet. Not yet. This hadn't happened yet. The, the once-for-all sacrifice, the sacrifice to end all sacrifices, had not yet been nailed to the cross. If Jesus had refused to pay, it may have needlessly turned many away from him and his teaching. Maybe they'd have been like, wait a second, this guy doesn't even honor God. Like, he doesn't even pay the temple tax. I'm not going to listen to this guy. And, and they may have stopped listening to his message of, of salvation. So it seems like what Jesus has in mind here is, is not just not just not giving offense in the way we often use the term as, as kind of like, oh, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but, but I don't want them to stumble. I don't want them to, to be tripped up spiritually. But nevertheless, Jesus, in this passage, he's, he presents us with a sort of dilemma. There's a, there's a hard choice that has to be made. There, there are two conflicting things. On the one hand, Jesus is free from obligation. He doesn't have to pay. The sons are free. On the other hand, the exercise of that freedom will cause others to stumble. It will give offense. So which one will win out in this situation? Which, which thing will be stronger? Which thing takes precedence over the other? Well, we see in Jesus' instructions to Peter. You know, he, he chooses to go ahead and pay the, the tax. And this tells us something. This tells us, my friends, that sometimes it's more important to avoid giving offense, avoid causing to stumble. Sometimes that's more important than the exercise of our freedoms and our rights and our privileges. I'll say that again because this is really our first main point this morning. Sometimes it's more important to avoid giving offense than to exercise our freedoms. Jesus accommodates these these collectors. He humbly submits himself to paying the tax. And he tells Peter how to get the money too. Go fishing. I mean, um, are there any anglers in the room? Anybody who likes to fish? Raise your hand. All right, so uh, there you go. There's your fishing text. Go go and cast your hook into the water. Um, And the first one that you pull up though uh, would have this, it would have just the right amount to pay for both Peter and for Jesus. And so I think that's maybe the, maybe the point of that uh, is, is maybe just Jesus showing how, even though he's going to pay, even though he's going to submit to paying this, 
he's still the son of God, and he's still able to divinely, providentially provide just what's needed for the, the, uh, this exercise of love here. But in any case, the need to avoid offense, that's what wins out here over and against the, the, the opportunity to exercise his freedom, his, his privilege as the son. But why? This will lead us into our second point. You know, sometimes it's more important to avoid giving offense than to exercise freedoms, but, but why is that? Let's, let's take a closer look. Let's think about why it's more important for Jesus not to offend here. Because there are other times, we'll get into this in a moment, where Jesus doesn't mind offending. Why here is he so concerned not to offend? Well, was it, was it fear? Was Jesus afraid of controversy? Like he'd just gotten tired of getting into conflicts and he's like, I just don't, I don't want to deal with it. I'm done. You know, I, that's, that's not the case. It wasn't fear. Jesus over and over showed that he did not live for the approval of man. He wasn't out to just please the crowds. His aim was to do the Father's will, even if that meant that it's just him against the world. Full of determination, he would carry out his Father's will, even when all his disciples scattered like sheep. Even when he stood trial before the, the Jewish leaders and, uh, and under the pain of the whip of the Romans and, and the mocking of the soldiers, even to the cruel death of the cross, Jesus didn't lack for courage. He wasn't simply trying to avoid a conflict, uh, simply because he was afraid of the conflict, simply because he didn't have the emotional energy to deal with it. Jesus he didn't comply with the infringement of his freedom here simply because he was afraid. No, there was another more noble reason. He did so, I will argue, out of love. He did so not because he was afraid for his own sake, but because of love for others, of consideration for others. As, as he says, in verse 27, however, not to give offense to them, to these collectors of the tax. He's thinking about them. Now, let's, let's look at another text to, to reinforce this, because I don't want you guys to think that I'm just philosophizing up here. We don't, don't just, as I'm preaching the word to you, don't just believe it because Pastor Ben said it. You know, we need to what we believe needs to have a firm foundation in the scripture. So let me do my best to show this to you from the scriptures. Let's turn to Philippians 2. Go ahead and turn there for a moment. You can keep your place in Matthew 17. But Philippians 2, you can find this on page 921 in the Pew Bible. Philippians chapter 2. And this passage gives us a look into the mind of Christ, showing us why he did what he did in his first coming, in his earthly ministry. And in Philippians 2, the context is the Apostle Paul, he's giving instructions for the Christians in the Philippian church how they're to love and to serve one another. And what better example than Christ, the ultimate 
example of sacrificial love. And so, and so he says in verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So notice Jesus in the form of God, though divine creator and sustainer of all things, though he is Yahweh God, the second person of the Trinity, he took this, this cosmic plunge into the depths of shattered humanity. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, to be, to be held onto, but instead he went low, really low, by taking on a weak, mortal, sin-cursed human body that was subject to death, and to live in that body on behalf of others, out of love for others, out of, to, to sacrifice himself for their good. The immortal God took on the mortal. And he didn't have to do that. He could have stayed there in heavenly glory, surrounded by the, the praise of, of the seraphim, uh, never taken a, a human body, never become incarnated and lived this life in this world. He could have simply looked out at fallen humanity and said, I'm going to give them what they deserve. I'm going to execute justice in the earth. I'm going to destroy and vanquish all evil and proceeded to open up the heavens and unleash fire and brimstone on this earth and consumed all of us in eternal punishment. And you know what would have happened? The angels in heaven would have been praising him for his justice and his righteousness. Like finally, God has you know, given those wicked humanity what they deserve, all praise to the holy God. That's, they would not have been complaining. They would not have been complaining. But instead, God the Son came. God the Father gave. And it cost him. He was free to judge us. He was free to condemn us. But he chose instead to serve us and to give his life a ransom for many. And I think what we have here in, in Matthew 17 is just another time in the, in the life and ministry of Jesus, one small way where he is again showing that, look, I have the freedom not to do this, but I'm going to, I'm going to set aside my right, my privilege here, my freedom, because I want to benefit others. I want to benefit others out of my love for them. And so I, I believe that's the reason why. This is our second lesson. The reason why it's sometimes more important to avoid offense, avoid causing to stumble, rather than just to exercise our, our freedom, is love. Love is the reason. I'll say that again. The reason why it's sometimes more important to avoid offense than to exercise freedom is love. Love is the reason why Christ gave up exercising certain freedoms 
claiming certain rights, enjoying certain privileges for the benefit of others. And friends, this is really, this is really at the heart of the gospel. It's, it's the love of God. It's because, of, it's because he did this on a much greater scale at the cross that any of us are saved this morning, that any of us can be saved. The scriptures are clear that, that our sin in which we've broken God's law demands a just sentence. That's why if, if Jesus had just opened up the heavens and, and poured out justice upon us, nobody would have been complaining. The outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, the fire that is not quenched, Jesus warned in vivid terms of the punishment for those who do not repent and believe. And, and this isn't because God is having a bad day. This is justice. It's, it's God's justice. But what we need is not justice. What we need is mercy. We need grace. And, and the gospel, the good news, is that what God has done in Christ to reconcile sinners to himself is that Christ came. And this, this God-man, Jesus Christ, in order to earn the reward of perfect obedience for us who have failed in countless ways, more than we realize, he fulfilled all righteousness, Matthew 3.15, for us. God's law that we'd broken, that we trampled on, he came down and he obeyed it perfectly for us. And by his obedience, many are made righteous. They're rewarded for what he did. And then Jesus also took on the dark black negative of disobedience to the law, of the law broken. He took upon himself the curse that we deserved. As Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So as he hung there on the tree of Calvary, what he was doing was being cursed for you, for me, because he loved us and he was willing to save sinners. He didn't have to do it, but he did it out of love. His very soul was offered up for us, body and soul. It wasn't just the, the nails and the crown of thorns that he felt there, but in his soul, he experienced the infinite guilt and shame and terror and condemnation that would have been ours forever in the outer darkness of hell. He t stood in our place and justice that would have been over us was exhausted on him so that there's no more condemnation left for us to face for those who believe. And that's how this salvation is received. How do you get in on this gift? How do you, how do you get it to where, to where Jesus, you know, he paid it all for you? It's by faith. It's by trusting in what he has done. It, you know, this salvation, it, we don't get it by, by becoming a better person, to be more worthy of it. That would... That would be an insult to God's gift. That would, that would cheapen it, make it something that could be bought or deserved by our merit. Listen, we can never be worthy enough for this salvation. What we must do is we must come as sinners, poor and needy, to the Savior. 
Come, nothing in our hands we bring, simply to the cross we cling. Not bargaining with God, not saying, God, I'll try harder. God, I've, I've been doing good lately, but simply coming to him saying, God, I deserve nothing but your wrath, but for Christ's sake, save me, forgive me, give me this salvation. I submit to you, King Jesus. I trust you for my salvation. If you have any questions about that, about how you can make the salvation yours this morning, please come and talk to me after the service or talk to another church member. We'd love to, to walk you through so that you can know that you have peace with God. Are you trusting in Jesus alone this morning? Well, if, if Christ is your Savior, if you trust in Him, then it is, it's our joy and privilege to follow Him. And, and this will lead us into our third point this morning. You know, He gives us the gift of His love. It's not just for our own good. It's not just for our own salvation. But now we, you know, He doesn't just, he doesn't just teleport us into heaven as soon as we get saved. He leaves us here so that we may extend his love to others, that we may live as kingdom citizens in this world. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, who is given to each and every one of us who believe, who have been forgiven of our sins through faith, God begins the process of changing our character to reflect Christ's. And this means that, well, as we look at this text in Matthew 17, we can, we can be thankful when we think about, man, Jesus denied himself. He, he, he went low. He humbled himself for us. He saved us. And this is just one little glimpse of that. We can praise him and thank him for it. But also, we can look at that as an example and say, this is the kind of life he calls me to as I take up my cross and follow him. And so let's, let's spend just a few moments uh, in point number three, thinking about what does this look like for us? To what, what does it look like in love to sometimes not exercise our freedoms, not do things that it'd be perfectly fine for us to do, out of consideration for others? Out of consideration for others. Now, we need to be really careful here because we don't want to you know, well, a helpful way to think of it is like this. Truth is often like a, a narrow road and you can become, easily become imbalanced and you can fall off into one ditch or the other. And so how do we, evolve, how do we avoid falling into the ditch of being just blundering, insensitive brutes, bulls in a china shop who needlessly cause damage wherever we go because we're not thinking about others at all. We're just doing it, you know, whatever we think we are free to do, and we're just, we don't care. Like, if it bothers people, then that's their problem. How do we, that's, that's not what Jesus was doing here. So we don't want to fall into that ditch. But on the other hand, we don't want to be cowardly men-pleasers who, you know, like lick our fingers and see which way the, the winds of popular opinion are, are blowing and say, oh, that's, that's where I'm going. And we become fickle compromisers, like, like weeds that just blow wherever the wind is, is blowing. By studying the life of Jesus, we see the perfect balance. We see his example, and we see that, 
that there are times when he stood his ground unflinchingly, even if it caused everybody to be offended and walk away. I mean, read John 6. At the end of John 6, there's hardly anybody left with Jesus. But at other times, he was very careful to avoid offending, such as here. So, so what we need to ask is when. How do we know? How do we know when we are to avoid giving offense and when we're to be okay offending? And I think that the answer lies in this. That we must live first and foremost for the glory of God. For the glory of God. We must take into consideration first and foremost what honors Him and the mission that He's called us to. And we should never, ever, ever compromise our duty, compromise what he has clearly called us to do, even if that turns all the world against us. However, there are other situations where, you know, it's not something that we've been clearly called to do. It's something that maybe we're free to do, but it's not a command. It's not required of us. And in those situations, Jesus is teaching us that love is to be our guide. We're to think how how will my choice affect others? We're to look out, not every person for his own interest, but the interest of others. And so if I was just to kind of sum this, this up in a sentence, it would be this. This is our third lesson. We must not give up doing our duty when it offends. But we must be willing to give up exercising our freedoms when doing so would needlessly offend and hinder the mission that we've been given. So we must not give up our duty when it offends, as, as Matthew Henry put it so well, better offend men than God. But at the same time, we must, not be, we must be willing to sometimes give up exercising certain freedoms, certain privileges, our secular interests, if you will, when doing so would needlessly offend and hinder the mission that God has called us to. We don't want to needlessly offend and alienate people. We don't want to needlessly hinder our mission as ambassadors for Christ by simply being inconsiderate. So this was Paul's mindset in 1 Corinthians 8 and 9. It's what helped him to, to reach people with the gospel. Let's, let's think of a, a specific scenario so that we're not just in the clouds of the theoretical. Let's say you've got a non-Christian neighbor, all right? And this guy is like green party to the core. He's like, a, he's like a uber environmentalist. He will lecture you for hours about saving the turtles and the whales. And he's also not a Christian. And let's say that you're doing some spring cleaning. You got a lot of junk. And uh, it's, it's, you know, you piled it up on your back porch. And you're thinking, you know, I could, I could take a lot of this to the recycle. Or I could just burn it. That'd be much easier if I just burned it in my backyard. Now, you're free to do either one. Let's say there's no laws against, against burning this said pile of junk. But then you think, if I burn this pile of junk in my backyard, that's going to tick my neighbor off big time. He's going to be probably standing on his front porch, shaking his head at me. Um, this is going to cause, this is going to needlessly hinder the mission. I, want, I don't, I don't want to get into a big argument with this guy about environmentalism. He needs to know Jesus. He's got, he's got bigger problems. 
So, you know, I'm just, let's, let's just take this stuff to the recycle. I'm not going to needlessly offend this guy. Now, it's not, it's, not necess- it's not technically a sin to maybe burn the pile or, or to take it to the recycle. Either one of those, in and of itself, is a fine option. It was, is you're perfectly free in that sense. But, as Jesus did here, not to give offense to them. You're thinking of someone else. You're thinking of their soul. I don't want him to be stumbling over uh, and just ignoring everything I say about Jesus because I burned a pile of trash. Or, or let's say that um, you're doing evangelism to the Amish. All right? I've got a good pastor friend up in Pennsylvania, and he's, he's done a lot of missions to the Amish. That might kind of surprise some of you. You might think, well, aren't Amish good people? But actually, um, they, many of them just have no idea of the gospel of grace. Their, their religion is one of works, and they, they don't know the true Christ. They don't know how to be saved. Um, so let's say you're trying to reach somebody in the Amish community. And uh, it's probably not going to help if you roll up in the driveway, blaring your Christian hip-hop with the windows down and um, you know, wearing shorts and a t-shirt. Maybe, maybe be, like, I'm just going to listen to my Christian hip-hop later. You know, there's nothing wrong with that, but I'm, I'm not going to needlessly distract them from the things that are more important. Maybe instead of, of wearing shorts and a, and a tank top, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wear a long dress because I don't want to distract them with the way I'm dressed. I don't want them to be thinking, oh, these, these, this English, man, they're so worldly. Like, let's just, let's just I'll, I'll accommodate them. I'll, I'll dress maybe a little bit more like them because I'm, I don't want to needlessly offend. There are more important things right now than me simply doing what I'm allowed to do. So, there's, there's, much, there's many more scenarios that I'm sure we could think of. Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 8 and 9, if you want to think more about this. But again, we must, we must be willing to give up exercising certain freedoms when doing so would needlessly offend or hinder the mission. And we get to do that. We do that because that's what Jesus did for us. That's, that's how he expressed his love for us, and that's how we can express our love for others. This is Christ-like love. This is is the love that has saved us. It's the love he's put put within us. It's the love that we get to show the world. Sometimes it's more important to avoid giving offense than to exercise freedoms. Why? Because that's what love calls us to do. And also, because we don't want to needlessly hinder our God-given mission. So to return to where we began in our introduction, freedom for the Christian is not just complete autonomy to do whatever we want, whatever we think, whenever we want. Freedom is is freedom from the slavery to sin, freedom to love and serve God and others. And this means that there will be times when loving others for Christ's sake will take a front seat to exercising our rights and privileges. As Galatians 5.13 says, you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you that in love you served us. 
Lord, as, as you said, the, the, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Oh Lord, strengthen and empower us this week to think not only of what we're maybe allowed to do, but to think of the interests of others, to think of how we can use our freedom to best serve those around us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.